a bear happened upon a hunter's cabin. And he smelled the uh, leftover morning breakfast. He thought, oh, that's good. That's all he could do was smell that morning breakfast. Boy, he wanted it. He wanted it bad. So he went into that hunter's cabin and and there weren't any hunters there. They'd all left, but that, that, that pot-bellied stove was red hot. And he saw that pot-bellied stove and he, he growled and he gave that big pot-bellied stove a bear hug because he thought it was an enemy trying to attack him. Well, that pot-bellied stove just burned him. And he thought, this thing's still trying to attack me. It's hurting me. This thing hurts. And so he squeezed it even tighter. How many of you have held on to the world so tight that you've been burned? How many of you are like that bear? You've been holding on to the world for so much that it's hurt you. We are tempted by many things. And the more we squeeze and hold on to the world, the more the world hurts us. And we, like the bear, have a hard time letting go. In a way, everyone here has been burned by the world because, in a way, everyone here has... A problem with worldliness. Everyone here is worldly. I guess I step on my own toes this evening. And worldliness, hear me church, a worldliness will kill us. Worldliness will kill Fountainhead Church of Christ. Maybe not all at once, but one by one by one by one by one, we'll all grab a hold of that pot belly stove and not let go, and we'll get burned if we don't do something about it. We've got to get this worldliness under control. When Paul reasoned with the governor, Felix, about faith in Jesus in Acts chapter 24, Paul reasoned about righteousness. He reasoned about self-control. He, he reasoned about the judgment to come. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul talked about. And Felix delayed any action till later because of, because of fear. You see, Felix was, was, was trapped in, in what I like to call respectable worldliness. Respectable worldliness. If you are caught in the web of worldliness, God is not pleased and you can't be righteous. You can't be right with God if you're caught in this web of worldliness. Righteousness is being right with God. And if you hunger and thirst for it, Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, you will be filled with righteousness, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. Titus 
chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. But how does one live in this world and not get burned? I want to look at an issue of morality facing the church today that if if not dealt with, it will kill us. Slowly. One by one. Worldliness, just, just as worldliness can, can do, go to a hedonistic extreme, many head to the other end of the spectrum and totally disassociate themselves with the world. We know of hermits living in cabins and caves to escape the world. And they cannot fulfill the mandate of the Lord to go baptize and teach any more than those who live solely for pleasure. Those who go to worldly extremes, 1 John chapter 4, verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God knows us. He who does not know God does not hear us. We deal with both extremes, the, the, the do-nothing attitude, yeah? We deal, with that at, we deal with that extreme and we deal with the extreme of respectable world, worldliness which, which I'll define as, well, you know, fornication, adultery, drunkenness, lewdness, lasciviousness, worldliness. And this includes materialism, lying, gossip, racism. All, all perfectly legal in our society. Many of these practices are in full favor of society. In full favor, part of a a normal way of, of doing business. But the Christian is not normal. We're strangers. We're strangers in a strange land, are we not? It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through, we sing. Our treasures should be laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the, and the devil uses worldliness against us very effectively. The best explanation of how is the seed that was sown in the thorns. You remember the, the, the four soils? The seed that was sown in the thorns and the thistles and the brambles and the bushes. It, it grew, but the, but the thorns and the vines, they crowded around it. until it, The worldliness just wouldn't let it grow. How many of you are choked with cares and riches? And pleasures of this life. If you are, that good fruit can't come into maturity. The devil uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And, and these are not of God. First John chapter 2, verse 16, but are of the world. And if we want to be righteous, love for the world is not the kind of love we need. 
Many believe they can have their cake and eat it too. Y'all, we understand that expression here in America, don't we? You have your cake and eat it too. The French say it this way. They say it differently. You can't have your butter and the money for the butter. Now, that didn't make any sense. But I'm sure have your cake and eat it too doesn't make any sense to them. The Serbians say it this way. You can't have your goatling and the money. Well, that didn't make any sense. But to them, it, it means the same thing as you can't have your cake and eat it too. The Greeks say you want the whole pie and the dog full. Now, I don't get that. But they do. They understand it. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The Germans say this. this one, I kind of get this one. Please wash my hair, but don't get me wet. That's their idiom for you can't have your cake and eat it too. You, the Bible says it best. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The prevalent attitude in our society is, is things, isn't it? Things. Stuff. We've got to have lots of stuff, don't we? We have so much stuff. Here are questions those who have a stuff problem are asked to see if they are potential hoarders. Number one, does your car fit in the garage or is there too much stuff in the way? Number two, do your shoes and clothes fit in one closet or do you need three? Number three, do you have two yard sales each year? Number four, do you rent a storage unit for the things that don't fit in your house? Most of us have too much stuff even if we do pass this little quiz. Amen? Come on, give me an amen on that. We got too much stuff. And it's really not the stuff, but it's the attitude that comes with the stuff. It's really not the stuff, it's the attitude that comes with the stuff. Sometimes you can't help but have stuff. I understand that, but, but the attitude... You know, if you went home tonight and the house was burnt to the ground, could you make it? If you lost it all, would you be all right? Or would that bug you to no end? Tells where your heart is. There is the worldly attitude that things come first and God comes later. God becomes second because stuff is respectable. Stuff is respectable. There's the, there's the other idiom, you know, the, the one with the most toys wins. It's all right to have stuff. It's all right to have the boat, the car, the this, and the that, the that, and the this. Just name them. List them. Society looks at you with respect if you've got all those things, don't they? Jack Zavanda wrote The High Price of Stuff. He says, stuff carries a high price, not only monetarily, but spiritually as well. It draws us away from Jesus. It lures us into chasing after things instead of God, he writes. It can make us greedy because we want to use our money for more stuff instead of helping the church. 
It tempts us into loving things more than people. So what's the answer, he says? Ask yourself this question, he he writes. Why am I trying to fill this hole in my heart with stuff instead of God? Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm still talking to you about righteousness, church. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Food, water, shelter. You'll get what you need. Maybe not what you want, but you'll get what you need. I'm, I'm preaching to me too. I'm getting ahead of myself though. I want to tell you how to beat worldliness and give you some practical solutions that you can use. But first I want to show you from four examples from the Bible. Three show us the evil of worldliness and what God thinks about it. And one sets up what we can do to begin to make sure that we don't fall into this trap. Okay? Let's work backwards in the Bible timeline and start with Peter. If you would be... Please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Jesus has been arrested. Peter is following Jesus at a distance, it says. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 53. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself by the fire. You know, many follow Jesus at a distance even today. When he's, when he's brought up, they're ashamed. When Jesus is brought up, they're ashamed. Believe me, I know I used to be one of those people. I used to be one of those people who when Jesus was brought up in conversation, I was ashamed and changed the subject. When you are ashamed of Christ, it's easy to identify and mingle with those of the world like Peter does here. He warms right up to that fire. But we can't flirt with the world and walk away untouched, unburned. You can't bear hug this world and not get burned. Do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians 15, Evil company corrupts good habits. Many a person, young or old, has been burned by bear hugging the world. Once you become worldly, like, like Peter, you, you slide into denial. It comes easier and easier to deny Christ. It happened to Peter. It happened to me years ago. It's happened to better men than me. I know a few right now. Peter denied Jesus three times. And we may not actually with words deny Christ, but, but we do with our actions. When we are supposed to worship, but we're full of excuses. Or when we're supposed to, to, to work for the Lord, but again, we're, we've got lots of other things to do.
We find ourselves in a position to stand up for Jesus, but we, but we stand afar off. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly when he, when he was faced with his sin. And my question to you with Peter's example, how about you? Are you guilty of worldliness? Are you, are you guilty of standing afar off? Are you guilty of warming yourself by the world's fire? Oh, don't get too close. Don't get too close. You will get burned. It's a promise. Don't get too close. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, if you will please turn there. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. That's wanting stuff so bad you'll put stuff in front of God. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he gives us a second example of respectable worldliness in parable form. Luke 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought with him in himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years, Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What's wrong with making a little money? What's, what's wrong with making a dollar? What's, what's wrong with, with building a few more barns to store your stuff? I remember reading in college... Saul Bellows, the rain king. If you're going to college, you'll probably have to read this one. There was a rich man in the, in the, in the book who spent money, a lot of money, with an ever-growing desire to spend more. His, his whole thought process was, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. In fact, that one of the one of the pages is just almost filled with "I want, I want." He screams in his mind. At times, it was all he could think about, and you, you know you don't have to be rich to have this attitude. The narcissistic song "I Want to Be a Billionaire" is still at the top of the charts. We live in a narcissistic society where everybody thinks about, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. You may not want anything. You may have all you need. Verse 19, so kick back, be merry, you think. I've got everything I need. I don't need anything else. I'm just going to sit and do nothing. Two extremes. The two extremes, 
of worldliness. But God said to him, and God will say to you, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and whose will those things be which you have provided? Then Jesus gives the cold, hard truth. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This must have been Lot's wife's problem. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is alluding to the second coming. And he says in Luke chapter 17 verse 26, As it was in the days of Noah... Or as it was in the days of Lot, they ate and drank and bought and sold. But the earth at at Noah's day and and, and Sodom and and Lot's day were were suddenly and quickly destroyed. And, And that's how it will be, he says, verse 30. When the Son of Man is revealed. Here's the part about Lot's wife why I think she had a stuff problem. Verse 31, in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Jesus says, you remember Lot's wife? Genesis chapter 19, you remember her? Genesis chapter 19, verse 15, the angels urged Lot to leave Sodom. The angels almost had to drag Lot's wife and his daughters out of the city told them to flee to the mountains. And he warned them, verse 17, don't look back. And the Lord, verse 24, rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says in verse 26, but his, but his, lot, but his Lot's wife looked back behind and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife, she's not even named. We don't even know her name. She had a, she had a conflict. That was her home. That was, her, that was her stuff. You know, we don't know why she looked back, but she was given every opportunity to live. She made a choice. She was told not to look back, and she did. Jesus said, Luke chapter 9, verse 62, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you have stopped following God and are looking back at your, at your old playmates, at your old play mound, playgrounds, God is not pleased. You're living in a fantasy world if you think He is. You're living in a, a fantasy world of worldliness. The other example that we have is a short example. But many times the short example is the right example. The wrong example carries a lot of baggage and and explanations with it, you see. But the right example many times, just short to the point. Luke chapter 17, besides Lot's wife, there was Noah. With Noah, there was no conflict. With Noah, he got on the ark. He obeyed. He did what he was told, period. Novel idea, huh? To obey and do what God says. It 
It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible tells me Noah did all that God commanded. There, there was no, no conflict. He, he did what he was told. Peter, the, the rich man, Lot's wife, they, they all had a, a problem with worldliness. But we need to be like Noah. We need to be righteous. We need to do all that God commands. We have been speaking of righteousness. Now let's speak of, of self-control. Like, like Paul did to Felix. He, he spoke to Felix of righteousness. And he spoke to Felix of self-control. Let me speak to you of self-control. What are some practical solutions to beat being a worldly person? How can we stop this in, in our congregation? How can we stop this in our life? We're all involved with worldliness. We make worldliness look respectable. What can we do to be more like Noah and less like the other examples? First, unlike, unlike Peter, don't stand far off from the Lord. When the opportunity comes, we need to stand close to the Lord. Don't stand far off from the church. Don't stand far off from your responsibilities. Don't stand far off from your brother and sisters. Be close. Be involved. Number two, beware. Beware of covetous. Jesus said, don't get tricked. You, you do this by, by seeing things through. You see things through God's eyes. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. We can't say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. We can't walk in worldliness. We can't walk in darkness we're liars if we say we walk in the light and we're walking in worldliness. We, we are liars if we say we walk in the light and we really are walking in the darkness. Third, instead of trying to conform, we need to transform. Romans chapter 12 verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed, be transformed. It starts here. It starts here. You gotta get your mind right. So many of us don't have our mind right. To keep from being worldly, forth, seek association with, with other Christians. That's what our elders want for us. The soul, to work, to grow, together. It's what, what, we, what we just prayed for, what Garrett just prayed for. Did you say amen to it? It's what God wants for us. He wants us to be together. Seek association with other Christians. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee fornication, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. And get this. Pursue all these things with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with each other. We need to be together. We need to be together for strength. There's strength in numbers, folks. We need to give up whatever stands in our way. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3... All the things that he lost, verse 8, 
He counted as, as rubbish, as garbage, that he may gain Christ. Verse 14, I pressed toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our goal needs to be heaven. Here on this earth, we need to set our sights higher than just what the world has for us. Our sights need to be set high. Our sights need to be set into heaven. Maranatha, amen. Don't we want the Lord to come quickly? Don't we want to go to heaven? Don't you want to go? I do. Don't you? Set your sights on things above, not on the things of the earth. We must recognize, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are, are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. When, you, when, when all this respectable worldliness starts coming your way and you think, well, I can do this, it's okay, it's lawful, it may not be the best for you, and it may not be the best for the church, and it certainly may not be the best for God, although it's legal. Although it's respectable in the world's eyes, it may not be the best. It may not be what you need to be righteous and to exhibit self-control. We must obey Peter, the rich man, Lot's wife, Noah, you, me. Obedience is a requirement for salvation. We best serve our friends. We best serve our family by obeying and serving God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. We know we love God when we keep His commandments. If we can't obey, we lose it all. Matthew 16, 26. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What profit is it? Set your sights higher. Set your goals higher. Colossians 3, verse 3. If you're a Christian, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. One of these days, it's all going to end. One of these days, it's all going to end. Will you be found in Christ when you are judged? When Paul spoke with Felix in Acts chapter 24, he spoke with the governor about righteousness, as we've said. I've spoken with you about righteousness. He spoke with Felix about self-control. I have spoken with you tonight about self-control. He spoke with, with Felix about the judgment to come. And I have spoken with you about the judgment to come. As I asked you this morning, what is your reaction to this truth? Will your reaction be the same as the governor Felix? Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. His worldliness so controlled his life. That's the only answer he could give. Has worldliness so controlled your life that salvation, reading the Bible, going to church, they've all just become a matter of convenience? 
Peter, when faced with his sin, as as I've mentioned, he wept bitterly. Why? Because deep down, he really loved Jesus. He really loved Him. And He had disappointed Him. He disappointed the one that He loved so much. The last suggestion or solution to get worldliness out of your life, out of this church, the last solution is love. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We must love God more than this world. Bear hugging the world will kill you. It will kill all of us one at a time. It will kill this church if we don't get it out of it. But if you do God's will, you will abide forever, John says. You'll abide forever. You'll live forever. If you need to be baptized into Christ, get out of this world and come forward. If you're a Christian, you've you've backslid into the world, quit hugging it. Quit hugging it. Quit holding on to it. It's killing you. Let go. Come forward right now.